you need to be not just a data scientist. You no longer can say, oh, I just do data science. You give me data, I'm just going to do data science. That doesn't work anymore. Maybe it did at the very beginning, but now if you want to provide efficient, effective data science tools and processes in an environment, you have to know the domain. Welcome to the Conversations on Applied AI podcast where Justin Grammons and the team at Emerging Technologies North talk with experts in the fields of artificial intelligence and deep learning. In each episode, we cut through the hype and dive into how these technologies are being applied to real-world problems today. We hope that you find this episode educational and applicable to your industry and connect with us to learn more about our organization at AppliedAI.mn. Enjoy! Welcome to the Conversations on Applied AI podcast. Today on the program, we are joined by Fatma Kocher. Fatma has received a Bachelor's of Science degree in Civil Engineering from the Middle East Technical University in Ankara, Turkey, and a Master's of Science in PhD degrees from the University of Iowa in Structural Optimization. She currently works as the Vice President for Engineering Data Science at Altair. In this role, she and her team work on engineering data science strategy, development, and execution, which includes investigating and applying the latest technologies in the field providing feedback into Altair's software, and supporting customer projects. Fatma is one of the recipients of Crane's 2019 Notable Women in STEM recognition. We also were lucky enough to have Fatma present at our Applied AI Meetup back in July 2020. So definitely check out that presentation at AppliedAI.mn. Thank you for joining us, Fatma. Thank you so much, Justin. Excellent. Cool. Well, I, I gave the listeners a little bit of background and where you did your schooling and stuff like that, but kind of curious if you could fill in the dots, I guess, maybe a little bit more what's going on today in your current role. I, I mentioned Vice President of Engineering. What's, what's sort of in, involved in that? Sure. So as you also mentioned, my education mm-hmm. and my background is on structural optimization. Mm-hmm. In Altair, I worked on multidisciplinary optimization tools for the most part of it. Optimization methods and tools are very similar to what machine learning data science teams use. In fact, we also work on a lot of regression models specific for nonlinear physical phenomena. So with this connection, about five years ago, I started looking more and more into new technologies in machine learning. Mm-hmm and see how that can be applied to our domain, which is computer-aided engineering, which I'll refer as CAE, which is a discipline that is helped in product design of many different industries. Uh, Obviously, we're located in Detroit, so starting with automotive, aerospace, consumer products, electronics, etc. So currently in my team, we are looking into how we can add value to CAE and product design with data science. So we definitely don't want to do data science for the sake of data science, or we don't want to do it because it's the hot topic of the day. We want to add value with it. We want to use it where it improves the, the process and the results of CAE. So there is a lot of methodologies out there that is developed for other industries. Some happens to be very useful for our use cases as well. So that's what we're looking for. And another imagery for what you're doing is probably closing the gap between data science developments and how engineering, you know, engineering world uses it. So we're trying to close that gap as well and leverage more and more of what's being developed in other industries for our use cases. 
Very good. Very good. Sounds sounds like a fascinating field. You talked about data science and, you know, this program we talk about artificial intelligence. They obviously overlap and they're very much related and kind of used interchangeably, it feels like, in a lot of different ways. But I don't know, do you have a textbook definition that you use for either of those? So I understand that for simplification, people use them interchangeably. I am of the strong opinion that we should not be using them interchangeably because they're two separate things. Sure. Yes, AI does use data science to build the intelligence, but designing an AI system is very different than designing and deploying a data science environment platform. So they're two very separate things. AI does use data science, but I don't think they should be used interchangeably. My very simple definition is AI is a physical or virtual system that uses data science to, to take actions or for the decision process of taking actions. And, and data science is probably, you know, sort of the brain of AI. Mm. But again, the reason that I would like to still separate them is because they're two separate domains. They have their own requirements. You know, when you think about of data science, you're talking about having enough data, training a model, deploying a model, understanding the results. When you're designing an AI system, you're looking into the human interaction. You're looking at you know, the objective of the AI system, how it's going to be deployed, how it's going to be licensed. So I think there's two distinct things. And AI does use data science, but an AI is a physical or virtual system that uses data science. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, no, that's great to point that out. You know, I guess thinking about getting a degree in structural optimization, did you find yourself sort of learning a lot of the data science stuff along the way? Was this was the schooling that you did called a data science degree? I'm just kind of curious with regards to sort of how you got into the field and if this has always been something that you've been passionate about, I guess, specifically what you're doing today. So that that is a good point. I always knew that there is data science and optimization, structural or non, you know, has very you know, at the end of the day, they use the same methodologies, you know, the gradient descends, mm. you know, an objective function with constraints, you know, we call it iterations, they call it epochs, you know, we call it objective function, they call it loss function. Okay. But at the end of the day, we use the same math. But I was not aware of it until I attended a workshop on data science. And I left the workshop feeling like, I could have taught this with my structural optimization background. Uh, you know, everything was similar. The terminology was different. Applications was different. And, you know, the, the characteristics of data slightly varied from one discipline to another discipline. But at the end of it, you know, it's math. It uses the same math. We are also looking into creating good data sets. We look at the characteristics of the data sets to make sure that it can be used for our purposes. We do a lot of regression models in optimization because our attributes, we call them our outputs, for example, are mostly continuous values. But, you know, the transition from structural optimization to engineering data science is not as large as it may sound from outside. We use the same things, the math is the same. You start to think a little, maybe slightly different, and you start also thinking, few other things like model deployment, for example, in other environments. For example, one of the things that we start spending more time is thinking about automated machine learning. Right? So the transition is not that difficult. 
Understood. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess if you think about the word optimization and kind of how can you use math and, and data to optimize whatever it is that you're working with. So see, it feels like there's sort of a tie there for sure, right? At the end, if you, you can probably simplify neural nets as minimizing the loss function. <laughs> this is an optimization problem. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny, I, I guess, it, and may, maybe you've seen this, and I think it was earlier this year or last year, something like that, where data science is the new sexy job that everybody wants to have. And my, my inner degree was in applied math. And, you know, I'll show my age a little bit, but I was I graduated in 96. And who would have ever thought that a mathematician would be a sexy job to have? But it's kind of come full circle, it feels like. You know, it feels like that you're right optimizing loss functions all that stuff was in some ways at least back when i graduated it felt like you would either teach or you'd go into actuarial sciences or you'd go on to a master's degree or a phd in math and now it feels to me like it's just like you know it's it is sort of coming full circle everyone wants data now that we can get data you know i think the internet has changed that now now that we can get data and send data around we need a lot more people that can actually analyze it i think it is the revenge of the geek <laughs> <laughs> So I actually think that uh, maybe it's a controversial thing to say on an FIDE AI podcast, but um, I actually think data science is yeah sexy name to analyzing data, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think the the reason that there is a data scientist term is because there's more tools now, uh, there's more methodologies, and a separation was needed to be done between the data analysts of the past and the data analysts of the future today, which eventually was called data scientists. I always wanted to be a scientist, so I didn't complain when we called ourselves engineering data scientists. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, what's what's sort of a day in the life of a person who is at the vice president level doing what you do? Are you Do you get into the data a lot or you spend a lot of time just managing teams and stuff like that? I don't get into the data a lot, but I get into it to some extent. I like to get into it. Uh, I don't know if I have to, you know, to be able to perform my job. Maybe sometimes it's actually an obstacle because you have to be a step away to be able to see the, the big picture. Yeah. But I like to get in, in it because I, I like to relate to the problems, to the challenges when my team talks about them. I, I want to at least have an understanding of what that involves so that I can sort of feel the pain. <laughs> so that's why I, I get into it. I still do feel things, nothing, nothing super sophisticated. I definitely do not code or program neural nets and, and things like that. But you know, I do my own small studies on the site. Sure. I, I think it's essential for any level of people to have some connection to to the work in the field to understand what goes into that the level of details, the level of complexities, the, the you know things that you need to think through so that you can appreciate the people that has done that work without exposing all the challenges to everyone. Yeah. We are a global company. Um so we start our day relatively you know early with meetings. And the first thing I do is you know I check emails despite all the warnings that you should not <laughs> Checking your emails the first thing in the morning, you should do what's important for you. But Altair is an environment that is that has open communication, and emails are not just information, but email is also our platform for discussions. Mm. And so it's important for me to read the emails first thing in the morning to see what discussions are happening. And it also helps me to get to the mental stage that I was at when I left work the day before. Yeah. So it's like my transition. And um, being a global company, you know, we have a number of 
meetings, usually early in the mornings until noonish, where we discuss ideas, discuss implementations, you know, plan on future projects. So th those are reserved for our most internal uh, conversations. And the afternoons are for myself and for customer meetings. And I would say three out of the five afternoons, I work on the products that we, we release and I work on testing them, breaking, trying to break them, trying to understand them so I can, you know, I can talk to them better. And then the two other days, I either do my own thing, my quick uh, small tests, or I read something or I refresh my memory on, you know, Neuronet, for example, you know, oh, how do you do this and, and that sort of a thing. I, I like the working environment. It gives you flexibility doing your own tests while having a global idea. And we also communicate globally, so that helps everyone to know what's going on and, and how to leverage those. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you mentioned products, and I think we've been talking about data and your background and stuff like that. I know when you presented at the Applied AI Meetup, you had some great examples, I guess, of some of the some of the interesting things that your products do. Is there anything you can talk about, you know, like publicly with regards to how you guys are using this this data and a little bit more about Altera and their products, if you wanted to share that? So Altair is a global company, and I think now we're about 3,000 people in 25 countries. Uh, we have a very large portfolio of offerings from modeling and visualization for product design to high-performance computing to data analytics to IoT. And so engineering data science is mostly working in our design modeling products. And our work goes towards embedding data science in our products to make them more AI systems. And our effort is, I think, twofold. One, we're looking into how to improve the processes. And two, we're looking into how to improve the results, the outcome of those processes. So, for example, in our world, in finite element analysis, you have to get a design and a DCNOs, you have to model that design, you have to mesh it, you have to apply the loads, the boundary conditions, the material properties. And that's, that's a pretty manual process. It's a very detailed amount of work. There's a lot of repetitive things that you do. So if you can reduce some of that repetitions and improve the processes, that will not only improve the efficiency of the CA analysts, but it will also allow them to focus on more creative, more engaging work. So that's one place that we're working on. Another place that we're working on is we know with our optimization technologies, so you know our prescriptive analytics, in order to improve products from different domains. And we're looking into how we can enhance those functionalities. So our main uh, line of products in that domain is called Hyperose, but we also have other, other products. So we're basically looking into how we can convert these manual processes to AI systems, right? AI systems that uses machine learning in the background to improve the process and to improve the outcomes. Okay, yeah, neat. I mean, like if, if I were to be designing a physical product, I'd be using some sort of CAD tool, right? Exactly. And so you guys integrate with the CAD tool to allow me to build a better product based on a lot of data that I'm getting in a virtual space? That's exactly what it is. So what we do is designer you know, creates the CAD file for the, the patient, and then 
in our products, you take that CAD file and you idealize it for virtual simulations. To be able to run a finite element analysis, you have to create a finite element model from that CAD file. And that process, taking a CAD file and creating a finite element model, is a pretty manual process. Of course, we are doing a lot of automation at the same time. And AI can also leverage that automation. But we're also enhancing it with data-driven methods when, when useful. So if we can shorten that process of taking a CAD and converting to a finite element model, all the CA analysts will love us, right? So that's what they want. They want to reduce that time as much as they can because that's the, that's the part where you do manual repetitive work. You're not learning anything. You just have to do that so that you can get to the learning part. The learning part is when you have your model ready and you run simulations. And from these simulations, you predict the performance of a part. And that prediction is based on you know, the governing physical laws. But that prediction takes a long time because we solve a lot of differential equations. If it's you know, a fluid dynamics problem, for example, it's even longer. If it's a you know a crash application like an automotive crash, it takes you know those are expensive simulations. So the second part is we're looking into how we can enhance that part with data-driven solutions so that we can quickly do those, quickly get to the performance predictions, and so the engineer can do more iterations, do more design exploration, and learn about the behavior of the physical system and make a better design decision with all that collected knowledge. So instead of running two simulations, if we can allow them to do you know, 10, 20, 30 iterations within the same time using data-driven solutions with physics-based predictions, then that gives them a lot, lot better understanding of the physical system and they can make better design decisions. So that's the second part that we're working on. Yeah, I, I remember seeing a presentation, must have been maybe a couple of years ago, but I, and I, I forget the name of the company, but they went through an example where they were working with John Deere, I guess, and they wanted to design a better tractor experience when you were sitting inside the tractor seat. And they modeled it all in virtual space, right? So based on pressure points in your body, based on things that you need to see outside the tractor, where should the mirrors be positioned? How should the seat be angled? All this type of stuff. And it was fascinating to me because they would have had to, before all this stuff, probably make 50 seats <laughs> or they would have to make a number of different types of things and physically build it and adjust it all and bring humans in and have them sit down and go through all the stuff. And they were able to do this in a completely virtual space, which saved them just a ton of money <laughs> and time. So going from physical testing for all iterations to physics-based predictions using simulation was a significant improvement in the cost savings and in the time that it takes to do all these tests. And our goal is to take that one more step, which is combining physics-based predictions using simulations with data-driven solutions and even shorten the amount of time even more and but allow for... Uh, more design exploration. Sure, sure. And that's what the designers want to do. The designers want to design. Great, exactly. So you don't have to go through that painful modeling process or you can just speed that up and then get to the part where you're doing design exploration, you're learning, you are you're thinking about you know what other possible ways to improve the design. Are you testing those out? That, that's actually the fun part of you know an engineer's and designer's work. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and people have had this fear, I guess, that my job's going to be automated away. It feels like what you guys are working on and your, your, your tool sets are actually making people be more efficient and more effective. These are very important tools. I don't relate to the question of my job will be taken away in this domain because the more we can get rid of these you know, sort of energy draining tasks from your day, the more you can actually get to the engaging part of your work. And that's not removing your job, but that's actually improving your job. Any advice for people maybe entering the field? Any classes or things that you've seen? I mean, you, obviously you've followed a certain trajectory. I mean, I guess even if you step back, who are you looking for when you try and hire people? <laughs> what, what are some skill sets that people should have if, if they want to get into this? So engineering data science is a little different than data science in other fields. Okay. I mean, for example, you look at classes, you're not going to see any engineering data science example, but you most likely see like recommendation systems, mm -hmm. examples from healthcare, examples from financial institutions or marketing. And part of it is, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, we as engineering data scientists, one of our responsibilities is to close that gap. So because the field is very new, it's not as mature. This is due to some of the challenges that we're tackling in working in engineering data science. So there's no one class or one program that I could suggest. But when I was shifting my focus from optimization, design exploration to data science, the first thing I did is you know, look into some of the courses that are available in Coursera, for example. And I really liked them because they were refreshers right in my horizon and topics that I, I didn't know. I went to a few conferences that were eye-openers. There was nothing that I could take and apply at my work, mm. but there was plenty thought-provoking things that I saw in those conferences. If you want to get into engineering data science field, I, I'm imagining this is actually true in other fields as well. First and foremost, you have to develop an expertise in the field. You need to be not just a data scientist. You no longer can say, oh, I just do data science. You give me the data, I'm just going to do data science. That doesn't work anymore. Maybe it did at the very beginning, but not anymore, because at the beginning, there was a separation of jobs, and we were at the beginnings of you know, applying data science, but now, if you want to provide efficient, effective data science tools and processes in an environment, you have to know the domain. Mm. There is no ifs and buts to it. If you want to be an engineering data scientist, you have to know the engineering domain. You have to know what the challenges are. You know, you have to know what you need to work on. So interestingly for us, I always say, and it's an opportunity, we run into challenges, and those challenges became our opportunity. Mm. Because all of a sudden, when we saw these challenges, we said, okay, well, we can work on solutions to overcome those challenges, and those became our opportunities. So you definitely have to not only focus on data science, but also pick a domain and be an expert in that domain. That definitely goes hand in hand. And I... Person like to attend conferences or listen to other people talking on this topic because they bring momentum to my thought process. They open my, my eyes to other things. So I would definitely encourage people to attend conferences. I know some of them can be, you know, financially and time-wise may not always be very attractive, but I think it's important. And we always have this discussion about how 
people in Europe see the value in attending conferences and sharing this information, but maybe not as much in North America. But I definitely suggest people to attend events in their fields when they feel like they're not being as creative in the solutions that they're bringing. Because seeing somebody else working on something else makes you a bit more ambitious your thought process, I think, and makes you more creative. Very good. Very good. Yeah, I mean, there, I'm assuming there's, there's certain conferences that are specifically focused on engineering data science versus just broad ones. Is that true? There is not yet a conference that I am aware of that is focusing on engineering data science, but there is a number of engineering conferences that has data science branches or sections in it, sure. such as NAFEMS, which is very focused on numerical analysis, financial and methods. So they have initiatives that are really nicely developed. So that's one. For example, I once went to an NVIDIA conference, which had very little to do with what I do. But it was an eye-opening, just the energy, the things that people are doing in other domains. It was mm-hmm. one of the, the turning points for me. Cool. Very good. I mean, I, I, I said during the beginning that you received the Cranes 2019 Notable Women in STEM recognition. And I'm just sort of thinking about the field in general. There is a lack of, of females in this field. Would you agree? There is definitely a lack of females in engineering. Data science in general is a little better. I think there's there's more women in data science, but probably not enough. Mm-hmm. I think the sad thing is, I'm not sure if this is still um, the current situation, but nowadays uh, there is a lot of females that graduate from engineering and data science, but it doesn't translate into the work environment. Mm-hmm. There are more females that go to in, into engineering, graduates from engineering. They maybe start working after a couple of years, they drop off. And that I think that is the sad part right now. In the past, it was that they didn't go to engineering. I shouldn't say we didn't go to engineering. But now we start dropping off from the, the workforce. And, you know, there's a lot of advices on it. You know, like one advice was, well, you know, maybe women should be more like men. You know, they should lean in. I'm of the, the opposite opinion. I think everyone should be who they are, and but everyone should be accepting of their behavior and just like, you know, welcome people that talk and work differently because we see a lot of very successful women engineers and women data scientists and women engineering data scientists. Yeah, for sure. I think getting a much more broad perspective, and I even would say if there's anybody uh, out there that's listening to this that that is a woman that would like to be on this podcast in the future i would love to talk with you because yeah i i think you know we we've done by the time this airs we'll probably have done at least a dozen or so and you are the first woman actually <laughs> to actually be on this and i don't want it to be that way i really want to have a lot more uh, women so if anybody has any recommendations um, you included Batma, please um, point them my way because that's what this is all about is actually getting everyone's perspective and and talking about different applications with data and artificial intelligence and you can't design systems that serve everyone's need if it's only designed by a certain group Exactly. Yep. Sure. I have multiple names in my mind right away. And I will definitely make those suggestions. I'm honored to be the first one, but I'm also saddened with it. Uh, But I understand, you know, why this happened. But, you know, it's the the future looks promising. So I think it's more and more. Good. Well, how, how do people reach out and contact you? I am on LinkedIn. If anyone works in this related field, I'll be more than happy to have discussions. You know, I had interesting discussions with people from different fields. 
I think at least the people that I reach out are people that has worked in relevant topics or in topics that I'm interested in. For example, the philosophy of AI, you know, and how it impacts the social environment is something that's interesting to me besides, you know, engineering. Like, where should the focus be in AI development? Should governments have any oversight over it? So I think just just reach out to people. I hear a lot of people that says, well, I don't want to bother you, but it's no bother. I mean, these are all very interesting things, all new things. Discussions is is always good. So it's never a bother to have someone reach out to me and start a discussion on a topic that is that I'm working on or that I'm interested in. And I think I would like repeat this again to for especially the women out there, it's never better to, you know, if you reach out to someone yeah. to start a discussion. I think there is the momentum of those discussions are what keeps the work going. I'm of someone that things settle in my mind and I get productive only after I discuss it with few people, get some perspective to it. And then so I can fine tune what I'm working on and, and be successful. So I reach out to anyone in the industry and anyone in academics that's working on relevant topics. And, you know, I sometimes shy away from it as well. And if I don't hear, that's fine. You know, it's not personal. People are busy. And when the times that I hear, it's always really, really great conversation. That's great advice. Great advice. Yeah. So we've co covered a fair amount of ground here. Is there anything else that you maybe would want to talk about? So in one of our past discussions, I think you opened the topic of like how how is the, the work in minds or work is going to change with all the developments in AI. And I think we mentioned that as in, you know, AI is not going to replace your work, but it's going to improve it. Um, there was one line of thought that I, you know, now that you asked, I want to begin, which is, I think with the removal of this routine work and having us to do more engaging, more creative work, we're not going to be working from eight to five anymore. Mm. We're going to be working 24 hours, but it's not going to look like work. I think you're going to be working when you're walking your dog or when you're actually most of these creative thoughts, I think comes when you're not actively working or you're just out there doing some random things. So I think the work environments you know, the managerial skill sets would have to adopt to it. You're not going to be valuing someone that's sitting on your desk eight to five. You're going to start valuing people that is coming up with ideas, that's taking risks, that's failing, that's learning, and that's communicating that well. That's the environment that, you know, that we have at Altair, but that's also the environment that I would like to promote elsewhere. Because I think that's what's going to be useful with all this engaging, interact, and creative work. Absolutely. Yeah. As you were talking about that, there's a book out there called, I think it's called A Whole New Mind by Daniel Pink. Are you familiar with that one? No, I have, I'm not. Yeah, it's really good. And it really talks about how at least, you know, in the 50s and 60s and 70s, kind of everyone's pushing the left brain logical thinking, right? Everyone goes to school, we, we learn our equations, our, our math, and we learn history. There's these very, very concrete things that we learn. And the creatives and the art stuff is kind of left to the side, right? Most people don't go into those fields because it's really not pushed hard in school. And his whole philosophy and basically his prediction is there's a revolution right now going on. It's been going on for a decade around right brain thinking and around it's the creative thinkers that are actually going to be pushing the next generation of workers. And these are the types of people that actually are going to become valuable. 
It's not going to be, I mean, obviously left brain thinking and science and all that stuff has its, has its place. Mm -hmm. But his thing is, is that basically the, the right brain has been discounted for too long and we should start exercising that part of our well-being and our work is going to change because of it. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Um, I'm going to check out that book. I'm not the most creative person. I think my right side of my brain is <laughs> But I, I definitely agree with that because the, the difference between one person to another person would be how they can make use of the, the knowledge that they've gained and, and that, that will rely on how creative they are in looking at problems, challenges, and coming up with solutions. Well, great. We've got a, a good future ahead with all this cool technology and all this creativity going on for sure. Yeah. The, our industries are going to be changing and evolving, which makes it exciting. Agree, agree. Well, great, Fama. I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for being on the program and look forward to uh, keeping in touch in the future. Yeah, same here, Justin. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Anytime. Bye-bye. You've listened to another episode of The Conversations on Applied AI Podcast. We hope you are eager to learn more about applying artificial intelligence and deep learning within your organization. You can visit us at AppliedAI.mn to keep up to date on our events and connect with our amazing community. Please don't hesitate to reach out to Justin at AppliedAI.mn if you are interested in participating in a future episode. Thank you for listening.